0: Well, hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining me here on another episode of The Fractured Brain. I'm your host, Jeppa Bye, otherwise known as or a.k.a. Jimmy P. Brown II. Just to shorten it to Jepa bai. I just like that title. It sounds kind of hillbilly. Others have told me it sounds kind of like just this weird acronym you've given yourself. uh, Like the artist formerly known as, but no, it's just jep Easy way to say it, rather than having to say Jimmy P. Brown the second. Anywho, thank you for joining me for another episode of The Fractured Brain. So, um... was Digging around um, through my briefcase, and uh, came across a folder with a well notebook, rather, with a bunch of my lyrics from when I was recording uh, the Eraserhead album and, uh, and uh, also subversive kind and a bunch of my lyrics in my very strange scrawl. <clears throat> nonetheless. Uh, but I thought it was kind of cool. Posted a couple of pictures on my Patreon site for people to see. But um, And then uh, ran across some old Deliverance photos. And even uh, just... In fact, even the very, very first Deliverance band photo. Taken in September of 1985. Um, so, thought it was funny. Posted that too. Um people seem to really, really dig hearing some stories. So I thought I would tell you guys about uh, uh, the the very first time Deliverance entered the recording studio. (laughs) So the year is 1986. This is pre-Cal Metal. Uh, The players in the band is myself... Chris Hyde and drums, um, Larry Farkas on lead guitar, and uh, um, Brian Carilla on bass guitar. So we've uh, been playing now a few shows. And, uh, you know, in those days, if you, if you weren't signed, you know. I didn't want us to just record a demo. Um, I thought it'd be cool if we released an album. So I, I'm not sure. I think it was Chris who found uh, this ad that had been floating around, uh, you know, LA Weekly, The Recycler, um, and some other things. You know, just you know, real. You know, we record your album. And we record and release your album. And uh, the company was called MCF Records. And um, so I'll never forget, you know, we we all went down there and we talked to them, found out, okay, so they, uh, for $600, they uh, give you 16 hours of, studio time and, um, and, uh, and then release your album and they give you a hundred pieces of vinyl and, uh, for an extra, I think like a hundred bucks or 200 bucks, they give you 50 cassettes, but otherwise for the $600, they release your album and, all with the hopes because they have major distributors interested in them and then, you know, in hopes it'll get you an actual record deal. So they sell that idea more than the fact that you're going to go into their recording studio and record and all this other stuff. So, and, uh, you know, their ad said, you know, state of the art, you know, uh, recording studio and, um, so we went ahead and we signed the contract and, you know, we, 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 all looked at each other and, and, and said, okay, so that's, that's 150 bucks each. So to come up with the 600 bucks and, uh, so we set the date and it was like three weeks after we signed with MCF records <laughs> and, um. So it gave us a couple weeks to come up with the money. Um, now, at that time, uh, of course, you know, I'm 15. Um, I'm doing in and odd, odd jobs, you know, honey-baked ham and working at this place uh, repairing fiberglass sailboats and surfboards and jet skis, a, pl- a place called Surefab there in Bellflower. And, uh, I, I don't even know how I met the guy. I, I think it was through my sister, Pearl. Uh, she had went there for something and, and talked the guy into giving me a job. And he, you know, he, he trained me. I, I had no idea what to do. And he trained me how to do, to work with fiberglass. And, um, and when he saw that I was absolutely terrible at that, then he moved me on to wood. And, uh, he, he made these really beautiful custom sailboats and, um, and they were really expensive, but um, they were all made of uh, you know different different materials. But the the main wood he used was teak wood, um, and uh, I, I remember you know at that time learning how to manipulate wood and you know how you heat it up and and you bend it and all sorts of cool stuff. It it, it was really neat. Uh, and then he saw I was no good at that, and I ruined a bunch of his. Woodstock and so he ended up he's like, okay, he can't be really bad at sanding. So he just put me on sanding. But so I started doing that. Uh nonetheless, I think it was like I don't know, $375 an hour, and I was working there 20 hours a week, so really wasn't a lot of money. But um I talked him into giving me an advance. I told him what was what I was doing. I told him it won't cut into work hours or anything You know, we're going to be doing it at night Um And Larry Farkas worked He had a part-time job working at a place uh, Out in Torrance called Delamo Dodge And uh, he worked in the parts department And he was Part-time there And then Chris Hyde had a a, a Job cleaning pools He he was a pool cleaner And um and then and, and I think he was doing it himself. I don't think he was working for anybody at that time. I think he that was just his gig, and so you know and, and boy, he regaled us with hilarious stories of you know times he you know he had to go to the bathroom, and he had no other you know there was no nobody home, and there's no bathrooms there available and oh my god, just uh hilarious and gross stories they're funny, but um the one who had the legitimate job was Brian Carilla. I mean, he had the legit 40 hour a week uh union um and making good money. I mean, this is 1985 and he's he's making, you know, 17, 18 bucks an hour. I mean, he's he's making some righteous dough. And um so um you know, Brian Funded uh, some early ventures, especially when it came to uh, those who came up short. So I talked, uh, Doug Sherman, that's uh, who owned uh, SureFab. He, um, Sure Fabrications there in Bellflower, and I talked to him and giving gave him me an advance. Uh, so he gave me an advance and that covered my share. And I, I, I remember going over to uh, MCF and I paid my, my, uh, share the $150 and, uh, dropped it off, grabbed my receipt. And I said, has anybody else paid? And he said, well, uh, somebody named Brian already came in and paid his share. So Brian had already come in. And of course, you know, Larry and, and Chris hadn't paid theirs yet. So the day comes in for us to load in our recording. It was like nine o'clock at night. And we were going to do it over the course of um, uh, of four nights, uh, four hours each, so I'm totaling sixteen hours in the studio. And um, <laughs> so <laughs> we show up, and of course they're like, you know, uh, we can't begin recording because uh, two people haven't paid. So Brian actually had to pay Chris and Larry's share and thankfully Brian had it I mean you know he, he had the, the their $300 and uh, so he went ahead and he paid it and then boom we were allowed access into the recording studio uh, I remember Chris picked me up um, and Brian picked up Larry and I don't know if Larry didn't have a car or if he just rode around with everybody I, I don't know exactly what it was he used to ride with Chris to to uh rehearsal all the time so I think Larry at that time just didn't have a car <clears throat> and uh, but Chris picked me up and Brian went in and picked Larry up and got all his gear and um, so <laughs> we're just waiting and waiting and then finally Brian pays it uh, we get it over with and we get to load in and, and I remember I was so excited oh gosh we're gonna get to see the recording studio we're going into a real recording studio and and it wasn't much uh, we walked in and a barely treated acoustic room um a barely acoustically treated room uh and then we went into the control room, which was really tiny and I'm looking for you know the console and the the, the tape machine you know everything you see in the movies or everything you've seen pictures of of you know when when people are recording and and there wasn't there was just this tiny little thing sitting. On the desk, and I said, So, where's the recording and where's the tape machine? Where's where you know, there? Oh, well, this is it, this is state of the art. This is the Akai, blah 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 blah. And it was an eight track recorder, and it used uh VCR tapes or you know VHS, or, or, or actually at that time, it, it actually used the Betamax tape. So, I don't know how state of the art it was since. Betamax was beat out by VHS but I I guess that was what Akai had chosen to use when they built this machine (laughs) and uh so that was that was the -the state-of-the-art recording studio but but they did have a decent little mic selection and uh from what I remember I mean they had a lot of mics I don't know if it was decent but you know I didn't know stuff back then yet I, I was learning and um (laughs) <laughs> the guy, the, our engineer, his name was Thomas Van Dyke. And he himself was a recording artist. And an artist with uh, MCF. You know, he was hooked up with them. But the, he was mostly their recording engineer. And uh, he kind of looked like a burnt-out Thomas Thomas Dolby. You know, he did electronic music. He'd never really recorded a live band before. And... Um, and he flat out told us, you know, he goes, Hey, I'm a, I'm a very, I'm a religious pot smoker, you know, but I heard you guys are religious and, you know, I don't want to offend you guys. So I am going to not smoke during our sessions. We thanked him. He was like, okay, I mean, whatever, you know? So he said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to smoke pot. I'm not going to drink. Uh, just out of respect to you guys during our sessions. Now, before or after, you know, and I'm like, well, whatever you do with your life is your life, you know, just as long as it doesn't interfere with our recording. So, <laughs> you know, we get in, and, and I always heard that drums were the hardest to 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 get mic'd up. You know, that was the most time-consuming. And um, at that point, I called. I, I had Thomas call the, the, the recording guy because I said, you know, Mike set up, you know, he was telling us it's going to take like 2 or 3 hours. Well, that's kind of not fair to the 16 hours and he's like, "Well, then if you guys want to procure more studio time." And I go, "No, no, no. You guys didn't tell us all this. We didn't know about that." So, they basically gave us an hour and a half free to for load in and for uh miking up the drum kit. So, now, Thomas is insistent, you know, to get the best drum tones, you know, we've got to find the most ambient part of the room and blah, 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 blah. And I'm learning all this stuff, you know, I have no idea. And so he sets Chris up uh, on this, uh, in, the, in this part of the room and tells Chris, this is the most acoustically pleasant part of the room. So set your drum kit up here. And Chris set it up there and... Uh, and, uh, he set up his kit and then he, you know, Thomas is, is getting all the mic stands and, and getting everything all together. And, uh, and then he, you know, he's patching everything into the snake and, you know, he's going to have to record these drum tracks down to, uh, two track stereo. And, uh, that way leaving six tracks open for us, for guitars, bass and vocals. Um, So, so, uh, we're, we're just there, we're waiting and, and he finally got up some pretty decent sounding drum sounds. I mean, they sounded pretty good. And I was like, wow, this sounds good. You know, and they had a little bit of outboard there and, and, um, he's compressing, he's doing this and he's doing that. And yeah, lo and behold, Thomas wasn't lying, you know, about three hours had passed and now we were finally good. Um... And Thomas said, you know, do you guys want to take a break and go grab some food? You know, we all said, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. So, you know, we we all were going to pack up into the cars and run over to um, run over to Tommy's over on Rampart and go get some food. And uh, told Chris, come on, let's go. Let's go eat. And he's like, no, I'm going to stay and warm up. Can you bring me back something? So we said, sure. So and uh, so we left Chris there. Banging away at his drums. And uh it's probably, you know, around midnight, one o'clock in the morning now. So Thomas just tells us, hey, you know, we're gonna probably track like, you know, you guys are tracking a total of six songs, right? And we're like, Yeah. He's like, Yeah, so just, you know, maybe get one or two done tonight and then we'll get the rest done tomorrow, and then we can start on guitars and bass. It's like Okay, so we don't all play together? And he goes, oh, no, 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 no we don't play together. Uh, you guys will be playing on some dummy tracks to him, but uh, we'll go back and tighten it up with the overdubbing. And like I said, I'm learning, and, and I'm listening. I'm paying attention, you know. Never been in a recording studio before. So, um, you know, I rode with Thomas, and Larry, and, and uh, Brian had ridden in, in Larry's car, or in Brian's car. So we go, we eat, and we decide to eat there. If you guys know Tommy's over in, in, on Rampart in L.A., you know it's a, one of these 24-hour places that sells these disgusting little chili burgers that are just incredibly yummy to eat. And um, we're sta- it, it's and you stand, you stand and eat, you know. So you're standing out there in a not so nice part of Los Angeles, and you're uh, you're just we're there eating, and uh, then we order Chris's to go and we say okay let's go so uh yeah we we start to head back and I'm all excited and you know Thomas is talking studio talk with me and I'm just soaking it all in and listening to what he's having to say and we start talking about synthesizers and and uh, all this other stuff and it's great and we pull up and We hear the drums still banging. I'm like, oh my gosh, Chris is really, really going at it. And uh, (laughs) we walk into the the live room or the recording room where Chris was set up. And where Chris's drums were, now there was a pile of mic stands and mics. And Chris's drums were not there. They were on the other side of the room. where he decided uh, I can't I couldn't play over there it didn't feel right it was the drums uh, they felt lopsided and and the floor felt unstable so I decided to find the most stable part of the room (laughs) to play my drums (laughs) and we're all silent we're all just kind of looking but Thomas I mean he, I gotta hand it to him. I mean, I was expecting him to like just lash out, cuss Chris out, everything else, you know. But he just looks at Chris, looks at the pile of mics, and just walks out, just leaves. And I, I then at as he as soon as he leaves, the door slams behind us. I look at Chris and I'm like, "What in the world is wrong with you, man? You know." I go. You saw how long it took to mic. He's like, "Well, you know, he 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 already knows where to place the mics and everything." I'm like, "No, dude, this is a lot more. This was about tone and 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 the right ambience of the room, and you just messed everything up. I, I, why did you do this? You know?" And Chris is just sitting there with this dumbfounded look, like, "You know, I, I'm just I I I wasn't comfortable there, so um didn't understand, you know, and." Why I was so mad at him. Brian just, Brian used to, Brian had the hardest time, you know. It, you know, it was funny because Chris and Brian were with me the longest, but Brian just never really got along with Chris. And part of it is he didn't understand him. And, uh, because you know, Chris was a character, you know, there's no question. Um, and Larry was just like, kind of like, whatever, you know, whatever, dude. And, um, so I go out to look for Thomas because now it's been about 10 minutes and he's gone and and so I go and I'm looking all over for him and then I find him in his car and he has this big fat Bob Marley joint <laughs> you know, the, the biggest doobie I'd ever seen I mean this thing was long and thick and big and he's just sitting there puffing away and I just uh You know, I couldn't blame him. (laughs) And uh, I told him, all right, man, well, you do what you got to do and then uh, we'll meet you back in the room. And he goes, he goes, we're done for tonight. And I go, no, we're not. We paid for the room. We're, no, we're not done. So if you can work high, then fine, work high. And uh, he comes back in. And uh, this was the way the night ended. So <laughs> he, he has these stacks of tapes, you know, and I go, now you're not going to give us a used tape, right? Because I'd, I'd heard about, you know, recording studio experiences and people using used tape. And he's like, and he's all indignant and mad. And he grabs this new tape. He unwraps it, you know, takes all the saran wrap off of it. And you'll see, it's a brand new tape, pops it into the 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 a Kai player, this a track player and he hits play and he goes, see, there's nothing on it. And all of a sudden music starts playing. And it's like this dude with an acoustic guitar and, and, and like total folk folk music. And I'm like, and it's all multi-tracked. I see it going across the whole board, you know? And I'm like, and then he just hits stop and he goes, huh, that's weird. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was so comical. It was, I mean, it was absurdly ridiculous. And, and, uh, yeah, we just called it a night. We knew that's it. So we knew we had three more nights, and he went ahead and set up the mics on Chris's drums. And now he didn't, he he just didn't care. He didn't care about the tones, didn't care about how it sounded. You know, it's just like, yeah, that works. That's fine and um so we came in the next 3 days and and um and we played and then we ended up going over like 3 or 4 hours and Brian couldn't cover it I couldn't cover it and of course Chris and Larry wouldn't cover it um and so our record got held hostage and they gave us a 2 week timeline and Thomas did these terrible terrible rough mixes for us um with like the music fading in and out and the and the vocals fading in and out, and all this I mean, because he was like doing all these mix moves that just like absolutely made no sense, and uh I remember he gave me copies to take home and um uh, you know just to review and listen you know to get ready for mix down, which never happened um because like i said they uh you know you know, Chris and Brian never came up with their end, and Brian refused. And because, um, uh, you know, Brian was like, I covered you guys for the first time, but for these additional four hours, I'm not going to cover it. And we expected them to pay for it. And so that was the MCF scam. And so they said what they were going to erase our tapes unless we came up with it and uh, and then the deal was null and void. We would not get our 100 pieces of vinyl nor our 50 cassettes or whatever that we signed up for. And yeah, that was uh that was our first episode with what we thought was a record company uh MCF recordings. <laughs> so if anybody was ever out in the uh LA area and heard of uh MCF records and uh the recording package deal, yeah, that was we were we were one of the ones that fell victim to it. Now, we we talked to other bands who had done it and they actually paid and used up their 16 hours and nothing not not a you know a minute more. And, um, they never even got their records. They never even got their vinyl or whatever. And, you know, you know, when you're a band and, you know, you scrape up everything you can to, um, you know, to pay for this, to pay for these services and stuff. Um, it's not like you can go and hire a lawyer and, and, and go after them. It just, it's not going to work like that. So, um, yeah, so you know, that, that was kind of the end of that. And I remember going back there, you know, cause after I got my license or whatever, um, I went back there a year later to see if they'd actually erased our tapes or if, uh, somehow, some way I can pay them for them and, um, you know, find another studio that had this machine and get it, you know, mixed down or whatever. But yeah, the place was, yeah, something else now. And, uh, the office building was gone Um, wasn't boarded up or anything. It was just another business was in there. And I went in there and I said, where is, did MCF move? And they're like, we have no idea. And, um, and went to the recording studio, which was around the block, um, from the office. And, uh, yeah, it was something else now. Something else was in there. And it's like, yeah, another owner, another proprietor, um, So, yeah, that was the end of uh, our stint to try to attempt to put our first album out, MCF. (laughs) So I knew from that point on uh, I would either have to pay for everything or it would be me and Brian paying for everything. And it kind of came down to that with uh, The Greetings of Death, which followed a year later. And, um, and then with our t-shirts and, and merchandising, you know, I, I was having to flip the bill for everything and work out, you know, credit payments and, you know, uh, you know, uh, give me the shirts today. I'll pay you next week or, you know, whatever, but you know, I was, I was always finagling and having to do stuff like that to try to get that kind of thing going. So, yeah, that, that was, uh the fledgling life of a, of a hardworking band, you know, because, you know, and we were, we were a very hardworking band. We were playing lots, lots of shows. Uh, but back then, you know, we played them for free and, uh, yeah, you know, we, we, now, now we didn't participate in the whole pay to play thing in Hollywood. And, uh, I'll do that. I'll tell that story on another podcast. But yeah, we didn't play that game. <laughs> so, all right. I thought you guys would enjoy that little uh, tidbit into the Big D history. 1986 MCF recordings are the album that never happened. Um, and I still have those uh, terrible rough mixes somewhere. In fact, I think I Matt Hunt released a couple of those snippets uh, at one point. So uh, I'll have to find them and post them one day. All right. Well, you guys have yourself a good day. This is uh, Sunday. Looks like it's the 26th today. And uh, this is your host, Jepaby. You have yourself a wonderful rest of the day, rest of the night, wherever you are. And uh, a lovely week. And we'll talk to you soon. But uh, peace, love, joy, happiness, and everything else uh, to keep your mind sane. And uh, or at the very least stable, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. You have yourself a wonderful weekend.